0: We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening.
1: Welcome to Novel Feelings, where two psychologists take a deep dive into your favorite books. I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. And welcome back to another
0: author interview. Uh, Today, we have a special interview lined up with author Margot Candela. So we are going to be talking about Margot's uh, 2022 release, The Neapolitan Sisters, today. We had such a lovely chat with Margot and took a really deep dive into some of the characters in her book. Uh, But yeah, hopefully you read the book come back and jump in for the spoilers (laughs) section
1: because there is some tea that is spilled about these characters just saying absolutely let us start by telling you a bit about margot though margot candela was born and raised in los angeles and began her writing career when she joined glendale community college's student newspaper she transferred to san francisco state university as a journalism major and upon graduation began writing for websites and magazines before writing her first two novels, Underneath It All and Life Over Easy. She returned to Los Angeles to raise her son and wrote More Than This and Goodbye to All That. The Neapolitan Sisters is her fifth novel and her first after a decade-long hiatus from writing. She now lives in San Francisco.
0: And a little bit more about the book. So growing up with a kind but alcoholic father and a suspicious, passive-aggressive mother, Three sisters each developed their own ways of coping. Dulcina had her art and her drugs and alcohol. Claudia plunged into her studies and fled to Princeton, and Maritza watched one Disney movie after another in between devouring romance novels. Now all grown up, the sisters are reunited at last for Maritza's dream wedding, but they are no less different than they were growing up. Maritza is a princess bridezilla, Claudia is the family fixer, and Dulcina Dooley is finally sober. With all three sisters back in their East LA home, each begins to take steps to come to terms with each other, their parents, and the secrets from their shared past. While their lives may have taken different paths, they are still
1: sisters at heart. It's a fascinating book, and I always love a book about sister relationships, can relate sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a real character-driven novel as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we get started on our interview, here's our usual disclaimers. We are trained psychologists, but this podcast should not be taken as direct therapeutic advice. Please consult a professional for more specific and tailored advice. The first half of this interview is spoiler free, but the second half contains minor and major spoilers for the Mm. Neapolitan sisters as we dig into the mental health content and what happens in the book. Also, we'll just flag that this interview has been edited for length. Major spoiler warning coming up for the second half of the episode.
0: And just a couple of quick content notes. So today we are talking about topics such as disordered eating, anxiety and control, abusive parents, um, alcohol and drug use, trauma and childhood abuse, racism and misogyny, fat shaming and weight stigma. Now let's get started on the interview. So Margot, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know you're recording
2: from... San Francisco. How are things on the other side of the world? San Francisco is a beautiful city, very beautiful. I mean, it has uh, some. it's facing some serious challenges right now, which um, sometimes make it hard to live here, but I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, I honestly am very grateful and very, very happy to be here. It's a very creative city. I'm sure, and I've never been, but
0: I've heard good things. Uh, and we're, of course, recording from Australia. Have you ever been over here before? Not yet, but if you have a guest room. I have recommendations to places to visit. So if you ever <laughs> I mean, decide to, please reach out.
1: I will. <laughs> well, congratulations on the publication of The Neapolitan Sisters in 2022. Um, how has your writing and storytelling evolved since you first became an author?
2: It's definitely matured. Uh, mm. And I am in a much different place than I was with my first book, which came out in 2007. I now am in a very fortunate place where I am my own woman as well as my own writer. So I have no one to answer to except for, um, you know, my editor or whoever I'm working with, but Mm -hmm. I'm writing from a place of freedom and not giving any, any Fs, (laughs) Uh, Um, I honestly, my writing has really changed. I it's still there's still a lot of humor in it. But I'm much more comfortable taking on darker, more complicated subjects without hiding behind humor. Um, And I think that has to do a lot with being a lot older, uh, and being happily divorced. That Mm. was a huge, huge uh, relief to uh, just kind of be able to move on from that or in the process of moving on from that and refocus on my creative life. And, you know, we spoke in, you spoke then just
0: about complexity and how, uh, you know, feeling more comfortable diving into those deeper topics and complicated characters and narratives. And the Neapolitan Sisters, of course, weaves together the stories of three quite complex characters who all have such a unique voice, uh, Claudia, Maritza, and Dooley.
2: Can you tell us about how you came up with their characters? I love things in threes. Threes make sense to me, you know, Mm. three sections, you know, beginning, middle and end. And when it came to this story, it was natural for me to have three sisters, because three sisters is a lot of sisters, but and they can each go in their own directions, but they're still closely bonded. So and they were uh, born very close, like one right after another after Mm. another. So It was a a natural choice for me to to write about Three Sisters. And then I love to write in first person, which just comes uh, naturally to me. And each of them had their own distinct voice. And as I wrote the first draft and then went through it again, um, they became a lot more clear to me who spoke and what kind of tempo, who used what kind of words. Um, And they each have their own take on their childhood, and they express it in different ways. And it just, it was a natural, it was a a fun process, honestly. And it was uh, very revealing to me as a person, uh, while I was writing to it, what I discovered about them as I wrote them, which made me reflect on my own, like, how do I view this? And sometimes I had to take, well, you have to take yourself out of it, because it's not my story. It's their story. So I had to, like, for instance, with Maritza, Not, you said complicated, I would say difficult, right? (laughs) But she is a difficult character. And uh, I had to find out why she was so difficult without trying to fix her uh, Mm -hmm. and letting her be the character she needed to be. And that's how I found my compassion for her. Because as I've said, I won't go out to lunch with her. I would never go out to lunch yeah. with her, but I have her back. I really do have her back. I have a lot of compassion for, for Maritza as a character and as what some people are Maritza's. So they're difficult mm. people and I have compassion for them, but I won't put up with their crap. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> writing, all of those things came together. And, and I think it oh, this book could only have happened at this point in my life. There was no way I could have written it uh, 10 years ago. No way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: which really yeah speaks to how you have of course evolved
0: um as a writer in your own perspective evolving too i imagine i would hope
2: so <laughs> <laughs> you can't stay you can't i mean you have to evolve uh and i think that's mm-hmm. part of the 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 human process that you don't some people are content to stay where they are but uh I have taken a really hard look at myself as a as a woman, a mother, and as a writer, and I hope to just uh, fulfill those and inhabit those parts of myself in a in a deeper, more honest way.
1: I would say uh, three sisters is a is a lot of sisters. (laughs) I'm one of two, and I can't imagine having to, you know, share a bed with my sister. My whole childhood—that would be a lot.
2: It's not that uncommon in Latino families mm-hmm. to cram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was recently a friend offered me a ride home from where we were hanging out, and she said she had her two kids in the back with car seats, and she said it's going to be kind of mm-hmm. tight. And I should—and I told her, "You want to know how many kids my parents crammed into the back seat of, of the Crown Victoria? <laughs> it's like this is nothing. This is luxurious." Um, yeah. I think I—I I grew up of one as one of four sisters and with a brother Mm -hmm. so I was from a big family and there wasn't a lot of privacy growing up definitely and I think that's something the sisters now um not necessarily take for granted but are more aware of how important privacy is Mm -hmm. and privacy and secrets are two different things that's what I've taught my son the sisters have secrets uh maybe not privacy
1: so the novel covers a, a lot of intersectional themes, some of which we've already spoken about, including the sisters' experiences as Latinas, as women, navigating family and careers and their mm-hmm. intimate relationships. Um, were you specifically hoping to examine or challenge any particular
2: stereotypes? All of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of them. Honestly, on, it, it was... I, you know, there's a 10 year gap between, uh, the Neapolitan sisters and my last book, Mm. goodbye to all that. I lived a lifetime in those 10 years. Um, and when I decided I was ready, not only was ready, but wanted, wanted to, to pursue, uh, getting something published again, which I had no idea if it would happen or not, because I was surprised it happened the first time. Honestly. Um, I knew I was in a place where I had to do it with, with a lot of courage. Um, and this book really was for me, an act of bravery. It is not an easy book. It, uh, it makes a lot, some people very, very uncomfortable because I am not writing a very feel good, magical realism, you know, the kind of book that, uh, people are okay with Latinas writing. Mm. It's a very blunt book. It deals with sex in a way that's very singular to a woman's pleasure. And it also kind of uh, calls out the whole Mexican mommy trope that, you know, your mother is just a Mexican mother is nurturing and will feed you and will jump in front of the car for you. This mother is not that kind of mother. Um, And that's made people uncomfortable. Also the sex has made people uncomfortable and the cussing. Which you know, yeah. I'm trying hard not to do, but
0: <laughs> we just have to be mindful. The market is explicit, so nobody's listening. With you know, small children, they're not comfortable hearing certain words.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it a hard PG thirteen. How about that? Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's good. good. The book isn't.
0: I'm just going to skip ahead to a question, as um, I think it's relevant here. But uh, you know, you mentioned some backlash, and you know, all authors are, of course, subject to criticisms of their work. That's part of, part of the deal. But um, how do you personally respond to criticism? And do you ever feel that some of the criticism you receive might be unfair or misses the point?
2: I think I'm a reader myself, mm-hmm. uh, and my job, and I do consider this a job, uh, you know, as well as a calling, uh, is to give a reader an entertaining, good story. First and foremost, I write for the reader. I don't write for myself. And I understood with the Neapolitan sisters that this was not going to be the kind of book that everyone likes. I understand that completely. And I totally yeah. get it because there are books I don't like. Right. And as, a um, But this one was opening up the uh, subjects uh, and opening me up to uh, being wondered about or questioned. Uh, What I have found, the ones I have gotten upset with, where I've been told that I was uh, stereotyping. Mm -hmm. I, as a Latina, was stereotyping Latinas. And I was being, the reviewers were not Latina who were telling me this. Uh, so they were calling me a stereotype. Uh, I had somebody say that if I wasn't Latina, I would be canceled, which is just, okay. here's my PG-13 bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's because the book is so blunt and so unapologetic um, and so open and vulnerable that it does make people very, very uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. And I think that's more that they need to look at to, as to why they're uncomfortable. They don't have to like the book. I'm totally okay with that as a consumer myself you don't have to like everything um, but to be take it so personally that means for me as somebody I mean I'm not a you know I not a therapist or whatever sociology was more my game um, their reaction to me speaks of their issue so I've had to just I stopped reading reviews. I am very, very proud of this book. I do not apologize for anything in it, um, but I do understand how it does make people uncomfortable. And I also, I think, have enough empathy to be okay with that. You know, you just, people deserve to be uncomfortable if they are uncomfortable. But uh, when they start getting personal, uh, I think that's when they cross a line.
0: Yeah. And I suppose that comment around, your, your characters being stereotypes. We've just spoken about how you were trying to actively dismantle and examine some of these stereotypes too. So it's clear to me that that was something that you were, you know, not
2: purposefully doing, like writing a stereotype or anything like that. I think it was more that I deliberately, that I didn't write the book that they were expecting a mm. Latina to write. Mm. And in that they were so uncomfortable with my depiction of – I think very plausible plausible. They're fictional characters, but very plausible Latina women that I know and I, I have met. Right. Mm-hmm. And since I wasn't leaning into the hot chichi mama bullshit kind of Latina character, they, ca- they tried to call me on that and to- told me since I didn't write the stereotype, they then accused me of stereotyping Latinas. So it's, it's, you can't win for losing. I, you know, it's not the book for them. I'm happy to have a a, a deeper, longer, more intellectual conversation about this. Uh, but probably no, actually, no, no, I'm not. I just, you know, you don't like the book, we can all move on. There are yeah i mean it, it's not i would love people to enjoy reading the book definitely but um uh, i i do respect a person not wanting to read the book beyond the first chapter and then i start the chap the book with maritza so yeah i pretty much set myself up yeah.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because uh, priscilla and i are both organizing our own weddings at the moment oh. so oh uh, you know, my condolences and congr- congratulations <laughs> thank you <laughs> Just a parallel that was happening there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so stressful. (laughs) You couldn't pay me to get married again or have a wedding. You couldn't pay me, honestly. It is, you know, it's just families go nuts. Uh, And I think Maritza is a prime example of somebody who has gone nuts for a wedding in her whole life. It, it, it's in the span of a month, uh, mm-hmm. but her whole life now has begun to focus on the wedding and being a bride. And that is not an uncommon thing to happen. Uh, people get fixated on the on the actual event as, and kind of lose sight of, well, what does it really mean? What does it really mean? Why are you doing it? Uh, so she never asks herself that question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I do find her um fixation with being a bride really interesting, but we'll keep that conversation for the spoiler part (laughs) of this episode. (laughs) So why did you choose to set the book in the early two thousands?
2: Well, and I wrote the first draft around this time. Um Mm. And I, I honestly don't know where the story came from, because usually stories occur to me while I am doing something else. Like mm. I have a long walk commute from one part of San Francisco to another part of San Francisco. Uh, and I thought of a whole novel that way. I don't know where the story initially came from other than it came to me with a beginning, middle and end. Um, and I said in 2003, because that's the time around the time that I wrote the first draft. And when we when Tony Kirkpatrick over at Alcove acquired the book, she did uh, say, well, would you consider moving it up to, you know, 2021 or 20, you know, some somewhere or no, like 20, 2019, 2020. Mm. Um, and I told her, no, mm. I told her. I didn't want to deal with the political climate that was uh, occurring in in, in the uh, the states at the. You, there's no way you could have avoided it. And a book said in 2019, I didn't want to deal with social media either. I wanted them because just imagine how much more obnoxious uh, Maritza had, would be if she had Instagram. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> it, would be, it would be scary, and I wanted them to have a them to be a plausible reason for them to not be even though they had cell phones for them to not be so constantly connected and that they could have their own private lives and keep their lives private especially claudia and ethan and because ethan is a is a, a basically a movie star mm-hmm. um, and at that time you had just the magazines and you there was really little internet that hadn't blown up yet. The gossip, you know, comp, you know, the whole machine that it's turned into. So I told her, it just didn't make sense for me to move it up. It would have changed the the scope of the story. Uh, But I did tone down some of the more very 2003 references, but I, I, I stand by setting it there. I think it's interesting to revisit the the you know the near past uh I did have to do a lot of research to remember things uh but I'm glad I said in 2003 I'm sick of I was sick of 2020 honestly yeah. <laughs> that's what I was revising it I then I mean, you would it. have had it to was, think about COVID yeah.
0: and all of this yeah. mm, narrative things yeah. that would have changed the whole dynamic that's a
2: different book for a different writer not yeah. for me um to me, it's just and it, and it's an interesting time. Two thousand three, you know, there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, things were kind of in flux. Um, so two thousand three worked. Yeah,
0: It yeah, does okay. make sense, and it's a very uh, a simpler simpler time in some ways, arguably.
2: It, it really was. Um, the more I think about it, it, I mean, that's why they were able to focus on what they were focusing on without mm-hmm. having to deal with outside horses so i mean you you want them to be well marissa was was always going to be self-absorbed but the other sisters were a little bit more tuned in and aware of what was going on around them um and i just like i said i didn't want the distraction of social media makes sense Mm
0: -hmm. um We're starting to approach our spoiler question section. Um, But we do have one final question uh, before we start the spoilers, which is something we ask all of our interviewees. Um, Do you have any particular authors or books that you would like to recommend to our listeners? They might be covering similar topics or similar themes, or might just be others that you'd like to give a shout-out to.
2: Well, I have to say one of – you know how you have your – your heroes, right? The, the Ann Tyler, for me, is a writer who I would never ever compare myself to her. But as a reader, her her books have a special place in my heart, because she writes about regular people who have very small lives in such a compassionate, beautiful, illuminating way. And I think from her, I've taken that you can write a whole story about somebody who doesn't have to be an extra special person. They can just be someone who lives down the street and their lives are just as rich as somebody who's having all sorts of adventures. Um, So, and she's a beautiful writer. So for me, her books are always, they, they give me joy and they give me comfort. They've made me cry. Um, And she really is my hero as a writer. So if you're looking for just a a, a story, stories about people, I think, I think she's someone to check out. Yeah, wonderful. Shall we move on to the spoiler questions now? <laughs>
1: Let's do it. Let's start our spoiler section.
2: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.
0: Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara.
2: And I'm Lauren.
1: We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review
0: podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show.
2: Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes
0: covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews.
2: Don't worry. If you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler free so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find
0: Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen.
1: Now, back to the show.
0: I wanted to ask about control, basically. Mm -hmm. So this was something that came to mind as I was reading the book was how each of our three main characters really does seem to struggle with control in their own unique ways. So, of course, we have Claudia being the fixer of the family, really looking out for her own needs, Maritza with her bridezilla tendencies, um, and Dooley almost struggling in the opposite way, somewhat somewhat being out of control at times with her relationship with alcohol and drugs, at least in the past before the novel begins. Um, How do you imagine that the sisters – early trauma that we learn about as the book
2: unfolds shaped their relationship with control well I think it had everything to do with it mm. uh and it also had to do even before that with being uh, daughters of a neglectful parent the father even though he's very loving he's just not checked in and a abusive mother um and I think those factors had already set them up for having issues. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was the the, the uh, other abuse they they suffered in silence. And they themselves have never really out- acknowledged. I mean, it's touched on, but they don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I know you as therapists, you probably see people manifest trauma in all sorts of ways and they cope with it in, in different ways. And I think these three sisters have manifested it in their own unique way and also have chosen to try and control it in other, uh, you know, Claudia, by always ha- having it together by thinking two steps ahead of everyone, Maritza by not progressing uh, by staying at a certain emotional age, and duly by being the, the problem daughter, you know the, the one that obviously has problems, but let's not discuss or even consider why she has problems or acknowledge why she has problems. She's just a problem. Um, so that for me as a writer was very interesting to, mm. you know, the, the aftermath of what happens without uh, being very obvious or, or ex- explaining it too much uh, and letting the reader, trusting the reader to be able to, understand what wasn't being said, especially by Maritza.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of people develop, I suppose, a relationship with with control as an unintentional coping strategy. It's not something people actively do. It almost becomes part of their personalities and their ways of relating to other people is how they choose to take control of the situation, but none of it was uh, something that they chose to do. No one chooses to have that particular relationship with control.
2: And, and I think it's uh, one of uh, Claudia's biggest issues that she knows she has to be in control mm-hmm. and she's finally in a place in life or with someone who she knows she can't control and doesn't want to control and doesn't need her to control him. Cause he's just, Open and honest with her, and and uh, upfront with her, and she doesn't understand that. Hmm. She doesn't understand a true give and take. She understands giving uh, and pulling back when someone takes too much. And she has been put in a, in a parental role by her parents, uh, which I, you know, it, I think really screws kids up. It really, it has long-term damage. It really is one of the worst things. And I'm speaking as a parent, Um, you to not allow your child to be a child and to be able to see you as someone like you are the parent, you are in charge. I can trust you. They didn't have that. Uh, They had Claudia. So Claudia, at, at the end of the book, she says she just wants to be a sister to her sisters. That's what she wants because she's going to be someone's mother. And she mm-hmm. understands the, the tremendous, tremendous responsibility that comes with that. And mm-hmm. she, and now she knows she doesn't have to do it by herself because she has Ethan. And maybe has some more vulnerability as well. I think vulnerable. I remember I, I, I'm i a fan of therapy, uh, which also is uh, it's, it's much more common now in the Latino community. Uh, mm-hmm. When I started, It was something uh, like, for instance, you, you can go to confession, but don't even think about going to therapy. I mean, it it just it it really makes people uncomfortable. It's like you're telling tales out of school. Um, I remember when my beloved therapist who retired, uh, said to me, uh, we were talking about vulnerability, like, do you allow yourself to feel vulnerable? And I looked at her and I said, I don't know I don't know what that means. And I had to go home and look the word up. <laughs> and then I came back the next session and I said, No, <laughs> no, not for me. Uh, and it's one of those things I think when depending on where you are in life, that there are some times where it's not safe to be vulnerable. It's a very, very scary.
0: Well, people are going to take advantage of you for being vulnerable. It makes sense that you're going to be putting up those walls.
2: And the sisters have to certain, uh, mm. um, extents. I, I think at this time in the, in the book, when Dooley is coming home, I think for as screwed up and as chaotic as her life was, she is probably the most, um, centered and balanced of the, of the three sisters. Mm. Um, she is open and aware and, uh, Probably the the healthiest. Uh, there is for me as the writer, there was some thought, well, is she going to replace sex for s- drugs and alcohol? Um, mm. And I think that was a question I had in my own mind, and I was willing to not spell it out. And if a reader asks me, I said, I as a writer was, was kind of wondering that myself. And I don't want to give a definitive answer because I honestly don't know.
1: Well, I suppose part of becoming sober would have involved... Uh, a lot of reflection on her part and that might have helped that probably helped with her becoming the most centered and balanced of the sisters as well i was also going to say i really enjoyed because we have the three first person point of views i really enjoyed how it highlight highlights this idea that even when siblings have the same set of parents you never really have the same parents because your relationships are so different you know uh, as individuals and so you know, you can see one sister might see the dad as one way and another would see him a different way and have a v- completely different experience. And that really
2: came through, I think, in the book. For me, it was very important that each sister had their own individual relationship with their parents who are largely in the background. They are not really active in the book. And and that was a choice on my part because they are not The main characters. They are, they had their time to do what they should have done and they didn't do it. So they don't get, (laughs) you know, they don't get credit. Um, and that's why when it came to how the sisters like refer to them, uh, Maritza calls her dad, daddy. Right. And her mom either refers to her, her mom as my mother or mama, uh, Mm -hmm. Claudia refers to them as my father, like mom and dad, Because she can't, out of respect, she can't use their names. uh, Because even she has a line that she won't cross. And then uh, Dooley refers to them as our mother, our father. So to me, that, as I was writing, that helped me get into the mindset of how each sister not only views their parents, but also views how they were parented by them. As you mentioned before, there were a
1: few plot points that you've left as mysteries for the readers. For example, we never found out what happened uh, in Merza's first marriage. Why did you decide not to disclose this particular piece of information? And is there anything you can share
2: with us about what happened? I think when I went back to revise that chapter mm-hmm. uh, where she where she does, I think that's probably the most introspection and the most thought she's given to her marriage and the way she refers to him as that person Person, that she's ever had and definitely she's never acknowledged what went on um when I was in conversations with Tony my editor she wanted to know she's like as a reader I really want to know but as an editor I respect your decision not Mm -hmm. to write it so I went ahead and I wrote a whole explanation as to what what he did and what happened and why she left and I sat back and then I just hit the backspace key for, it was a big chunk of text because I realized Maritza would never have that, uh, insightfulness to be able to, to acknowledge what this person did to her. Um, what I will say though, is that if she got married the summer, she turned 18 and this man had obviously been and who was maybe around twice her age, as Claudia says, uh, he had been sniffing around her for for quite some time. So he was definitely grooming mm-hmm. her. It was completely inappropriate um, that they didn't stop the wedding. They, they couldn't stop the wedding. It was, you know, Maritza was, was dead set on getting uh, married before at a younger age than Princess Diana. That was her fixation at that time. Um I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens in in communities or in families that aren't able to acknowledge um, past mistakes, past trauma, uh, a bad parenting. And Maritza got married to someone who had no business being in her life. Uh, and she had the wherewithal, though, to walk out on him when she mm-hmm. and I, I do as a as a writer and, and a person, uh, even though she's fictional, I do give her credit for that, mm-hmm. for not uh, allowing like wanting to save face. Um, she she walked, she left and she did what was right for her. And then she let Claudia, of course, clean up her mess.
1: Yeah. yeah. I did wonder if to Maritza getting married is a form of control as well because it means getting out of the the house and you know having the opportunity to realize her vision of a perfect life perhaps that you know it feels to me like that contributed to her getting you know being so insistent on getting married to Agostino despite his flaws and perhaps why she got married so young as well in addition to the
2: grooming that probably was going on well, she thought she would have her own house and she, it yeah. would be exactly how she wanted it to be. Um, she would have, uh, you know, she was a big reader of romance novels. And so she thought it would be, she would have a version of, of that kind of life. And then she got she moved into this man's house and he wouldn't even let her change the hand towels in the, in the guest room from what his mother had had. So she realized pretty quickly. And the only way she would have realized if, is if she would, would have married him because she wasn't obviously going to date him. She was dead set on getting married. And the reason she's dead set on getting married again so quickly is because she's turning 30 and Mm. she's determined. I mean, she has these arbitrary Mm. kind of like, I have to do this by this age. Um, And for her, marriage seems to be a way of actualizing her worth or, you know, her, how attractive she is and, um, achieving something because I don't think she thinks people, her family, they don't understand her job and she's very, very good at her job, but they don't understand it because it's not glamorous like Claudia's, you know, job. So what she's going to do is she's going to have a wedding and she's going to shove that wedding down everyone's throat.
0: And affirm her self worth as a person. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's also interesting, just in terms of almost affirming her femininity as well, and you know, thinking about that interact, you know, intersection with gender expectations, and even more so in the early two thousands. I'm sure, Um, you know, the idea of being a young bride is so coveted um, for many people. So I can see all of these different reasons why she's placing so much value on the wedding. Not the marriage, of course, the wedding. No, the
2: wedding. It's all about the wedding. All about the wedding. She never even considers the marriage or the wedding as a marriage. The wedding is the wedding. The wedding and being a bride is the whole point for her. Mm-hmm.
0: I will say that um, even though she does, of course, embody some aspects of that bridezilla stereotype, I really appreciated an extra layer to that character of her financial independence and her Investing and her saving and all that side of things. So it's it was very clear to me that if she wanted to quote unquote you make it on her own, she absolutely could, and she has been doing that at least from a financial point of view. She does have this fierce, almost secretive independence streak, which I I did appreciate.
2: If anything, she thinks her house and her money is none of Augustino's business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's none of his concern and she knows that if he knew how capable she was or what she was doing he would ruin it for her he would become a problem so mm-hmm. she has him shunted off to the side she even says to claudia and dulcina at one point when they go visit the house that she bought uh that maybe she'll she's basically saying that maybe she'll let him live there <laughs> it's her house it's not their house it's 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 her home uh she might not even end up living there but i always said that uh is very smart but not sophisticated um, mm-hmm. and she understands money and she she learned a lot from her bosses you know her boss mr kim and and mrs kim who she does see as 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 parents almost uh so i think it made the, the additions of her being financially very savvy Came during the revision because as I got, as I set aside my own uh, prejudices for Maritza, like I found her the hardest character to connect. After I, dis- I said to myself that her story is just as valid and probably even more illuminating uh than dulcina's and claudia's um she just came to life for me and she just as a very superficial person who is not insightful i think she has a lot of layers um and part of that is you know she also has a a knack first for investing in the stock market good for her, <laughs> good for her.
1: Yes, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah can i also confirm they're not actually married are they because
2: no it's yeah end. that yeah. wedding's not legal no it's a, it's a, yeah. an elaborate costume party is what. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and don't you wish i mean i wish some more women would have the guts to do that and just say i just want the party i you know <laughs> I just want to wear the dress. I just want to do, the, you know, go through the whole motions of it, uh, because the guy probably isn't worth marrying, uh, and you're probably better off not tying yourself. Getting divorced. I don't know how it is in mm. Australia. Getting divorced is complicated. Not only just emotionally, it's it's legally mm. and financially very complicated. So why not just have that party?
0: You <laughs> want to have a party? Have a party. Yeah, have a party.
2: <laughs> she has to go through the motions of of mm. pretending it's, she never actually, she never pretends it's a marriage.
1: Mm. Never.
2: Mm. She just, she just assumes that no one's going to ask, oh, have you gotten the license? Because who would be nuts enough to do that? <laughs> Maritza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: uh, speaking of um, layers to the characters, one thing that we noticed through the story was how the sisters, particularly Maritza and Cordia. Um, are very, I guess, aware of physical appearances, um, including judging others and themselves for the size of their bodies and their attractiveness. Um, why did you choose to sort of explicitly include this, these traits within the book?
2: It's definitely, uh, I'm sure it's universal, but it's a very LA thing, a very Los Angeles thing. Um, and for different reasons. Uh, Maritza has been accused of being fatphobic, it mm. just was you know, and Maritza is not, is not fat phobic. And Maritza is lashing out and very childless, you know, very immature. So what she's fixating on is the weight of her fiance and her fiance's family. If they lived in a worse neighborhood than, than she did, and she lives in a pretty rough neighborhood with her parents, she would be bagging on them for that. What she fixates on is their weight because that's just low hanging fruit. Uh, so she's basically on the schoolyard being mean. That's what she is. She's not fat phobic. Um, Claudia it works on the west side of L.A., which is it's one it's it's a place where people are always looking and looking to be looked at. Uh, so she's very aware that is an attractive a woman who is not embarrassed about being attractive is not embarrassed about being, uh, having a, 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 you know, a good body and uses it to her advantage. Um, And that's another way she controls. She's not only trying to control everything by keeping everything in order. She controls her body and her life uh, through exercise. Um, And that might be like, people think like, Oh, that's great. You like to exercise, but there comes a point where you exercise too much and it's, it's actually bad for you. So, I think choosing for them to be having some sort of sense of being very focused on what they look like and what others look like, it just, it was a very alley thing for me and also a way to explore how they manifest their trauma and their coping mechanisms. There were a few comments about how Claudia was too thin or mostly coming
1: from their mother and that someone either i think it was merza who was like hmm, maybe she is anorexic that i thought was an interesting um frame as well for all the comments about um other people's appearances because it, it seems definitely like- threw me
0: off the uh, the pregnancy reveal at the end yeah <laughs> we're well into spoiler territory so i can say that but, um you know i was thinking like what is what's happening as she has she developed an eating disorder is she having panic attacks which is why she's throwing up um all the time what's you know, or is that part of the eating disorder? I was, tr- I had my psych hat on trying to figure out what was yeah. actually going on for her as she wasn't explicitly saying what was happening through her, through her story. So I will say that definitely uh, threw me off. <laughs>
2: I was not expecting that. You know, thank you. <laughs> that for me was a trick. Uh, that was a really conscious decision on my part to to hint that that she had had a an eating disorder, uh, especially mm-hmm. in college, she she b- was bulimic for a while, and she does acknowledge that that she did throw up, and that's why she was refusing to throw up when she had morning sickness because she didn't want to backtrack or or trigger that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Maritza does make uh, a comment that Claudia always had a thing about her weight and eating, and I think you know when you grow up in a chaotic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to have some sort of stability and sense of control, you control your body and you control what you eat. I don't think she, I think uh, Claudia exercises a lot um, and is very conscious of her body and very aware that she has Mm -hmm. to present a certain way physically um, and wants to, and honestly wants to present some way physically. Um, But um, it was, you know, for me, kind of hiding the pregnancy was because Claudia herself wasn't ready to acknowledge that she was pregnant. She Mm. really did come to terms with it and that she had to make a decision and do something about it when the fire happened in her neighbor's house. And that's when she realized, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm avoiding. It's time to stop playing this little game with myself and take care of what I need to take care of, which for her was to schedule an abortion.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, it was a very clear turning point for her at that stage. Speaking of Claudia, she does – it seems to me sometimes the exercising is a way of avoiding her feelings as well because when – I think she was doing hot yoga and she said, I'd rather do this than go to therapy. Um, She speaks (laughs) about, you know, she speaks about having too much therapy. Um, As therapists ourselves, we're always interested in how, you know, book characters perceive therapy – what do you imagine Claudia would speak about with her therapist in their sessions?
2: For Claudia therapy is an intellectual exercise. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a way for her to think about her feelings without feeling her feelings. Uh, And that's why she's very, very good at therapy, but therapy, she hasn't allowed therapy to actually do its work up until the end where she is like, I am, she's safe enough to feel vulnerable. Um, I think she would have been very clear and careful about what she was talking about. Um, I'm sure. Yes. And she might have... I don't think she would have disclosed the abuse. She would have disclosed enough... To see it as a challenge, as if her therapist or psychiatrist, because she would see either, and sometimes see both, and they have different takes. I, you know, I think right. Well, I know from experience, they have different takes as how they approach things. To see if they would be able to figure it out, and when they wouldn't figure it out, she's like, obviously, you're not, you're not, you're not going, you're not smart enough for me because I'm, I'm totally fooling you and wasting my time and my money. So Mm -hmm. even though she's a fan of therapy, I think she's gotten to a point where she realizes that she is not being fair to the process itself. And that's why she's, she decides to do hot yoga because for her, it's just as torturous and unpleasant and as much of a challenge as therapy.
0: I can imagine Claudia very much trying to take control of the narrative, um, not the narrative necessarily, but trying to take control of the conversation in the therapist's office and having control over that interaction and not taking, not, not having too much vulnerability, maybe just enough. So the therapist thinks that it's working or, you know, having that real, uh, yeah, just having those, those walls up and intellectualizing, everything rather than actually having allowing herself to have any real breakthrough moments.
2: No, I think like she knows what her problem is. She knows um, what the issue is. And uh, she is trying to come to terms with the past by living in the present and ignoring the future uh, because all of those things will will change once she finally does come to terms with something really terrible happened to me and my sisters. I have been trying to make up for it all my life and I've gotten to a point where I have to take care of myself and choose myself. And how scary is that for somebody who is used to parenting not only her, her sisters, but her, her parents too. Uh, and then when she realizes she, she, she is pregnant and she is in love with a man who is in love with her, uh, what is she going to do? She's going to erase all of that. And that's her intention when she goes to have the abortion. And then she realizes she, she can't. She cannot do it again. She did that in her teens. She had a, a an abortion in her teens. Uh, and that's never discussed as to how she was able to do that and who got her pregnant. And I have my own idea of, of who. And that was something that never came up because I didn't think I needed to explore it. But there's also trauma involving that. Uh, and she they, she takes complete responsibility. She considers it her mess, her mess to clean up.
0: Hmm. And that's on top of how she takes on other people's messes to clean up as well throughout the story. So she a lot must be exhausted.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really, it was really heartbreaking that, you know, Julie talked about how they would always let Claudia go to the corner shop. Mm. That was,
2: yeah. Honestly, really that made me cry when yeah. I read that. Reading those lines made me cry because when you and, and Claudia, Julie's um, admitting this from a place of, of cl- compassion and empathy for not only her sisters, but for herself and acknowledges that she was a little girl. What was she supposed to do? It wasn't her job to protect her sisters, um, but to have that kind of regret uh, that you watch your sister take, you know, put herself in harm's way to try and protect you know, her and Maritza, I think that just, to me, is so devastating. Uh, and I wrote it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but when you, like if you have friends and you have like deep conversations and somebody admits just something so heartbreaking and you can still feel the pain uh, that probably will never go away. Um That for me was that moment. It's just like, that's how damaging something like that is to a person. And some people never recover, recover from it. Never. How would you
0: describe where the three sisters are in terms of their mindset by the end of the book? What have they, what have they learned and what might be
2: coming up for them next? I think they are in very good places. Honestly, Mm. I I do it. It's a, it's not a, a happy ending. It's a ending with hope. Uh, And uh, Claudia is going to be with Ethan uh, and he is going to take care of her and she's going to give him a hard time about that. But she is in a good place. Uh, Dooley is ready to be finally be herself and experience her life and and embrace what it has to bring um, and be kind to herself and forgive herself. Maritza's Maritza. That's all you get. She's <laughs> she's not going to change. She's not going to therapy. Maritza is going to continue to be Maritza, and that's okay because she has her sisters.
0: But if she does decide decide to leave Augustino, at least she's not legally bound to him, right? Well,
2: I, I can tell you right now, it's over between them.
0: Okay, yeah. so it yeah. is definitely over. Yeah, she's done. She
2: she got the wedding. Yeah. What 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 good is he yeah. now? Yep. yeah <laughs> they're done <laughs> she got
0: to be a beautiful bride that's it yeah. that's, all yep. that's all she wanted
2: that's all she wanted
0: all right well i think that might end us up for today thank you so
1: much Margot. that was really great
2: thank you and if anyone you know who's listening has any questions feel free to reach out uh, i have a website i'm on social media so margocandela.com everything's there i also have a newsletter where uh, I do get very chatty. So if people are wondering, like, just how screwed up my life is, uh, the newsletter (laughs) definitely (laughs) gives you some clues. And I would say if anyone um, decides to read the Neapolitan Sisters, I really, truly, truly uh, appreciate the investment of your time and and your money. And uh, reviews uh, are always welcome. I may not read them, but I do appreciate them. right so
0: that wraps us up for today thank you for listening and a big thank you once again for margot for joining us today remember to check out our show notes on our website for margot's social
1: media newsletter and her author recommendation if you like us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on NovelFeelings.com or on Instagram, Twitter, The Storygraph, and Goodreads via Novel underscore Feelings. You can also find my bookstagram at pavedwithbooks with an extra s at the end. All right. Thank you so much for joining
0: us today. Take care, everyone. Yep. See ya.